I'm in the prime of life, says me, far as I be knowin'. Haven't time to slack around in comfort all the year. So when we get a little time before our boat gets going, we head on down to the library, and this is what we hear. Come, Come on, on in, and look, look all around, around. There's, there's plenty forward to see. Make your own self right at home. I love the library. Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Corey Peterson. And for Veterans Day, we wanted to honor our veterans by doing interviews with them. So we are going to start with Tommy Fisher, and then the second person I interviewed was my father, David Holmes. So I'm here with Tommy Fisher, and we were going to talk about Veterans Day. Right. And um, so welcome, Tommy. Thank you. And um, what branch of the military were you a member of? I was a part of the National Guard, or the U.S. Army National Guard. Okay. Out of Oregon and out of Alaska. Okay. How long were you a member of the National Guard? Almost 10 years. Wow. Um, what did you do for a job when you served in the National Guard? I was a heavy-duty mechanic, so whether it had wheels or tracks, I could work on it. Okay. 
And did you serve in any wars? Yes, I did. Which wars did you serve in? I was in Iraq. Okay. When were you in Iraq? I was in Iraq from late, well, November of 2004 to November of 2005. Okay, wow. Um, What would you like people who do not serve in the military to know about serving in the military? It's not that easy. No. You leave your family, you leave your kids. Granted, when I was in, I didn't, we didn't have Becky or Jordan, but I was married for 12 days, and I was on an airplane going overseas. Okay. The military doesn't care. The second you sign that paper on the dotted line, you're owned until your term of enlistment is up. Yes. I remember my dad, my dad was in the military, and, um, he was in the Coast Guard, and he used to say, if you were supposed to have a family, you would have been issued one in your sea bag. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the most surprising or unexpected part of serving in the military for you? I lost a couple of my really close friends. Okay. I held my best friend while I died. Okay. Did you come away from your time in the military with any life lessons you'd like to share? It, life lessons, the military, you're going to grow up quick. Yeah. Very quick. I went in at 18, and through basic training, AIT, and then they, they, I mean, they teach you how to be you. I mean, they completely break you down into nothing, and then they mold you back up to what they want you to be. And through that, I've learned that there isn't much anything I can't do. Okay. Do you have any words of advice for kids that are thinking of going in the military? Make sure it's what you want to do. Because once you've signed, you cannot back out. Make sure that you've looked at what you want to do and that when you go in to sign, what you want to do is on that paper. Because if it's not, they can put you anywhere they want to. Yeah. Whether it's Marines, Army, Navy, Air Force, whatever branch, they can stick you where they want to. Yeah. So but make sure. Sign, and there are, I remember myself um, thinking of going in the military and they will let you choose your job or they did then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like I said, make sure it's on that paper that you're signing. Because if it's not, say you won't sign it until it is. Okay. Because, like I said, they'll put you anywhere they want to. Whether I mean, they can put you right in the middle of everything. Yeah. And that's more than likely what they're going to do. 11 Bravo, which is ground pounder or normal foot soldier. Yeah. Yeah. So... so were you you were a mechanic? Yes. In there. Okay. But that that wasn't what I was. That's not the only thing I did. Yeah. Like when I was in Iraq, I was a mechanic slash I did recovery slash we did convoy security, yeah. which I mean whichever one came first. Like uh, there was a couple of times like my last uh, retrans retrans is basically. We were on the side of a mountain. There were six of us. That was it. 
no backup, nothing. The closest thing we had was Ramadi, which was an air base that was 60 miles away. So if we needed backup, we had to get on the radio and have them send in Apaches. Okay. We could see everything that was going on below us. We could see everything that was going on to the left and the right of us, but we were all by ourselves. Yeah. And then they came and got us. We were headed back into uh, our FOB, which is our forward operating base, which was Kirkuk. And we had the 101st Airborne Division with us, and they were the ones that were getting ready to take over our FOB. And our front Humvee uh, got hit with an IED, blew both front tires out. I am eight Humvees back from it with two, two tires, and I'm rolling them down to the front Humvee so we can get it back on the road yeah. and back to the FOB. Because at that point, you are the mechanic. Exactly. Even if you're under fire. Mm-hmm. Tommy and I ended our conversation discussing the current situation in Afghanistan and how that has made him feel as a veteran. How quickly the Taliban took over Afghanistan. And as a, as a veteran who, I mean, I know you didn't serve in Afghanistan, but it was so closely linked to Iraq. Um, were, what, are, what are your thoughts or feelings on, on 20 years in, in Afghanistan? And For then, nothing. It was nothing. I mean, less than a day of us pulling out, Taliban had already taken it over again. You just made the Marines, the Army, Navy, all look bad. Okay. I mean, what took us 20 years to take over and get back under, a reg- not a regime, but under some kind of order, it was gone in 24 hours. How does that make you feel about serving? It doesn't make me feel any different. I mean, I did what I did for my country. Not for a president, not for governor, anybody like that. I did what I had to do. I went over there, and I came back alive. Yeah. There's a lot of men and women who haven't. Well, thank you for talking to me about it. That was Tommy Fisher talking about his time serving in Iraq as part of the National Guard. I feel like Tommy really gets at the crux of Veterans Day, that he made it back alive and so many didn't. And... um, We just wanted to extend a thank you to Tommy and all the men and women who have served in the military. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and up next is David Holmes. So I'm here with um, David Holmes, who is also my father, (laughs) and uh, 
I wanted to talk to you for Veterans Day. So, um, can you share with us what branch of the military you served in? I was in the Coast Guard. What year did you go in the Coast Guard? Uh, 1966. Wow. Um, And what year did you retire out of the Coast Guard? In uh, 1992. I was 26 years in the Coast Guard. 26 years in the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. So you went in as an enlisted man. Yes. And you came out as what? I was a, a warrant officer. Okay. So, uh, so what did you do in the Coast Guard? What was your job? Well, most of my jobs were on ships and stuff and some small small boats, vessels. Uh, my first ship was the Coast Guard Cutter Laurel which was a 180-foot buoy tender, and it was in Rockland, Maine. And I went from a basic training in uh, Cape May, New Jersey, and then from there they transferred me to, to Rockland, Maine on the uh, Coast Guard Cutter Laurel. And on the Laurel, it was a buoy tender, and we worked buoys all around uh, the coast of Maine, and we worked a lot on the lighthouses, too, uh, yeah. taking uh, fuel and water out to them because... Most of the lighthouses there all had were manned lighthouses, and uh, you had to have a, some kind of a way to have a cistern for catching water, or you had to have water tanks that they brought water out to you to, to them with, which which we did on the Laurel, and then they also had generators they ran for power, so they had big fuel tanks. And we had to every once in a while go out and pump fuel to the to the lighthouse. Oh, okay. And some of those some of those lighthouses were quite were quite shallow, so you couldn't get very close with the ship. So, oh, yeah. uh, one one ship, uh, one lighthouse, we had to we had over a mile of hose just to uh, just to get to the light. Oh wow! For pumping water and rocks. Mm-hmm. See, and I remember when when I was little, that was the first place we moved when we left. Yeah. Petersburg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went to Gloucester, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And did we go to the lighthouse first or second? I remember living at Top of the Harbor and the lighthouse. Yeah, first we lived Friend Street. Yeah, first we lived downtown Gloucester and then and then we moved out to Anasquam Lighthouse. Yeah. Which was a it wasn't a, at that time it wasn't a manned lighthouse. It had been in the past, but it was just regular housing you could you could choose from and that's so we we lived in the Anasquam Lighthouse. That was such a magical place to live yeah. as a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember that. Yeah. Um, so you were mostly an engineer, though, in the Coast Guard? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you serve in any wars? I did. I did. I was over in, in Vietnam and went over there and... Uh, I was on a ship. I took a ship from uh, Portland, Maine. It was a big ship. It was 311 feet. And uh, we sailed it across uh, over to, uh, went through the Panama Canal and went, went up to, uh, went over to Hawaii and for training there. And then from Hawaii, we went to Vietnam. And we pulled patrols off the coast of Vietnam. So what were you doing on those patrols? I remember hearing about this as a kid. Uh, we had a, a, a three-inch uh, 50 gun on the bow of the ship, and 
the uh, the Navy would give us different coordinates of where where they wanted uh, artillery and stuff and shooting and stuff. So we would we would go out to a certain places and, and we would shoot uh, we shoot our bullets in, up into the jungle someplace. <laughs> And also we had a, at that time there was, there was some uh, Russian trawlers that were out there bringing arms to the uh, North Vietnamese. And so we would, uh, we'd be boarding uh, Russian trawlers too and checking to make sure they didn't have contraband on board. Okay. Um, What would you like people who do not serve in the military to know about serving in the military? Well, I think it's a, I, I think any branch of the military is, is, is good for young people to do. Uh, I know myself and an awful lot of people that I know, when they first get out of high school, even though they have all kinds of neat ideas, they really don't have any idea what they really want to do. And so I've seen a lot of people that waste a lot of money going to colleges and some smart people that are really smart, they get all these fancy college degrees or or my partial ones and they decide that they just don't like it so I think if everybody that went through went through high school joins some branch of the military it would be a good it would be a good time for them to kind of figure out what they were going to do with with their life and everything else plus it would they would be out from under the arms of their parents and stuff so they could kind of do what they wanted to do but uh they would also have some pretty strict discipline too in the unit, you know, the yeah. army or coast guard or navy or whatever they was in. So it would it wouldn't be like they could just do whatever they wanted, but uh, maybe they, a little easing into the freedom instead yeah, of yeah. <laughs> one would, day you're free. <laughs> and they would have excellent medical care and, and have somebody taking care of you and stuff. And so I mean, if you got in trouble, they, usually you would have. Somebody that would hold you straight, accountable, straight, straight, yeah. straighten that, straighten that out. So, uh, so I think that's an, was important. Was an important part of the, and uh, plus, uh, kind of kept you on the the straight and narrow after yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> know, and you didn't get paid very much money, so I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't really get in too much trouble because you just didn't have. You might have enough money to go ashore for one big fling, and then. <laughs> and you would go back on the ship and wait for two more weeks till you get another paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the most surprising or unexpected part of serving in the military for you? Well, I guess uh, kind of the most exciting thing was... Uh, the fact that you could move all the time, you know, you didn't have yeah. to stay in one place. So, I mean, if you had a, a job that you liked, you could stay probably for two or three years. But if it was a job you didn't like, uh, there was probably a pretty good chance you could move on to something, to a new area or something. Or if you had a, a boss or someone you were working for that you didn't like, either he would leave or you would leave because everybody had about a two or three year tour. So you didn't have to worry about you know, constant uh, button heads with somebody you didn't like, so. Yeah. Uh, Did you come away from your time in the military with any life lessons you'd like to share? Um, 
well, I guess it's not just the military, but anything, you know, you do in life. Uh, uh, you do the best you can with what you got, and uh, you try to make as many friends as you can and get to know as many people as you can, and it kind of they all kind of go together, and they help, everything helps you out, and you can help other people out that way too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And I guess I have one last thought. I was thinking of your high school yearbook, and it seems like years and years ago I had been looking at it, and there was something in there about David wanted to go see the world. That yeah. was your goal in high school. I think so. I <laughs> and, think so. And I and I remember reading that at the time, and I thought, wow, you really did get that done, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, well, I kind of did, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the Coast Guard helped you do it. Yeah, I was really wanting to go to Alaska, and uh, being from northern Maine, I never dreamed it would ever go to Alaska, but I did, and I spent uh, probably half of my career yeah. in Alaska, so it was yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Every time you got, it seems like we would go from Maine to Alaska, from yeah. Maine to Alaska. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you... If you like the Coast Guard and if you stay on ships, uh, they're not that great a duty. I mean, sometimes because you're away from your family and stuff and everything for long periods of time. But uh, you get to move a lot. Yeah, So you do. Yeah. I remember um, in Kodiak, is that where you were gone 300 days out of the year? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it similar in Homer, too? Or was it just Kodiak that was... I guess... As far as being away from home, it was probably comfortable to that, you know, but it's just because in Alaska, you got such a big area, and there's there's so many regular requirements. Like uh, every two years, you uh, on a ship, you, you, you go to the shipyard. Well, if you're from Alaska, then you go down to the lower 48, uh, Seattle or Oregon or someplace like that for the shipyard, and that's usually... That's usually a, a month or two months, sometimes two months, sometimes. So, and then uh, every other year you go to uh, you go to uh, Hawaii to go for, through underway training with the uh, Navy, where they train you for wartime cl- cruising and stuff like that. So, so that's a long. That's quite a long. That's usually a ten day trip on a ship. You know, going over there Hawaii and stuff. And then usually you stay over there for at least a month, sometimes a month and a half. So. That takes up quite a bit of time too, away from your away yeah. from home. So, and I remember um, I was thinking about in Kodiak and possibly Homer. I remember in Kodiak especially that, and this was in the seventies. You would be, you were, you would get these big Russian ships that were within the 200 limit fishing mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. what they were doing yeah we we were uh, we were patrolling off the off of what they call the 50 fathom 50 fathom curve or something anyway it was where uh, the russian trawlers and stuff would come inside to fish and stuff and it was still also japanese boats too in there but uh, oh yeah i remember that and we would we would board them and check them to see what they were getting because they were there was quite a few prohibited species that would be on board or something that they'd be taking and stuff. But I remember one ship we were boarding, uh, when we ran the small boat over to, to go on the boat, uh, we found all these big, huge sides of uh, king salmon 
frozen king salmon floating in the water. You know, oh. uh, <laughs> they obviously were. They were getting. They knew they weren't supposed to have them on board, so they were getting rid of them. But uh, <laughs> oh, what a shame! Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And um, is that what you did in Homer too, or did in Homer what did? Homer, we worked. I was on a buoy tender, buoys. and we worked. Okay. Mostly, we worked uh, uh, buoys and stuff. And we worked from uh, oh, uh, quite a few up in Bristol Bay and all around the little villages and stuff, all the way down, down through, you know, and um, out to Adak and places like that. So. Okay, and I remember in when we lived in Maine, right on the border, and you were working out of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the ship there out of Newcastle. And uh, I remember one night seeing your ship on the news. Um, you'd come across a, a boat with a bunch of refugees in it. Do you remember that? We pulled up what they called Haitian patrols on that ship. I was on the, that was on the Coast Guard Cutter Active. And we would go off. Actually, what we were doing was... <laughs> We were trying to keep the people from Haitia, from Haiti. We were trying to keep them in Haiti. And yeah. uh, they were trying to get out of there because they, yeah. they were starving. They're, so. they're trying to get out now, too. <laughs> yeah, so we would pick these boats up, and sometimes they would just have a just a mast and an old sailboat, a sail or something on or something, hardly anything, and be bailing the water out and stuff because it would get kind of nasty and stuff. And but there would be just huge amounts of people on board those little tiny boats. I remember that. Yeah, one, one boat we stopped uh, we started taking the people, helping the people get off because it was at nighttime and it was pouring rain and blowing and stuff and uh, it was like uh, it was just all kinds of people and then when we thought we had everybody in, out of there then there was little kids and stuff that were down in the bilges of the boat that would come out too oh, wow. and uh, we brought them all on board our ship and, uh, and then as soon as we got them on board, uh, they all, the first thing they wanted to do was they wanted to use the bathroom and stuff and, and clean up. And they would, and they all had a little bag with them that was water tight and so sealed up and stuff. And they would go into the bathroom and stuff and clean up. And then they would put on some new clothes and stuff. And uh, their dry clothes. Go dry clothes and stuff. And then they were ready to go to America. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I remember when I was in high school, we were, you were stationed in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, mm-hmm. which is right on the border yeah. there's, of Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. Yeah. And um, you were on an icebreaker. That was the only icebreaker you ever served on. Pretty much, yeah. 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 And that was a Katmai Bay. Katmai Bay. It was a 140-foot uh, icebreaker. In a, it was a, actually it was the first... 140 footer that the Coast Guard had built, you know, for that. And uh, there was, I think there was six of them up in the Great Lakes at one time. And uh, we would try to keep the shipping lanes open in the wintertime because all the steel mills and stuff were shipping, they were shipping iron down to, or steel ore and stuff down to the factories to make, to make metal with and stuff. So they were trying to keep them open. So, we had to break a track for them, and sometimes we'd have a big five or six hundred foot ship behind us, and we would be breaking a track for them. And the scary part was 
if we got stuck in the ice, oh man, the uh, the big ships couldn't stop. You know, they just yeah. could, they just keep going. So because there did the thousand footers run in the winter? I don't remember that. Some did, yes. They they ran until they closed the locks. But if it wasn't, it would depend on the on the economy and stuff of whether they kept them going or not. But a lot of times they would just close the locks and because you know, there'd be so much ice in there, especially when you get up into a, a Lake Superior and places like that, there was just really a lot of a lot of ice because it was so cold. And it was freshwater ice, so it, it freezes really hard. Yeah, it freezes really thick, too. Yeah. I remember that we got to go out one time on an ice break just for a day trip mm-hmm. with um, you. They took all the families out. Yeah. And, um, I, that was pretty astounding. Just the whole vibration of the boat, and mm-hmm. um, just to to be on that for that amount of time while it's breaking ice yeah. it was. And to then I remember getting off while we were still out. Mm-hmm. We weren't docked. We were out, and we were able to get off the boat and see. Yeah. how thick the ice was yeah. that we were breaking and just be able yeah. to walk right up to the bow of the boat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had a, on that ship, we had a bubbler system that was like a great big blower, like in a, underneath the ship there was all these tubes that w- went out along the sides and, and discharged out to the side of the boat. And when we got in heavy ice, we were breaking ice, we would, be, we would have this bubbler going and what it did was this air going in under the ice and stuff, it kind of lubricated the hull so you could go through thicker ice and oh, stuff, yeah. and it would help It helped to break the ice up and stuff. So we could break a lot of ice, you know, real thick. Uh, some places I know we went through, like, you know, two or three feet of ice. Yeah. There, so. And we would go clear up into, sometimes we'd go clear up into Canada, breaking ice for the ore plants and stuff there. Yeah, and I remember my senior year. I remember you were gone a lot my senior year, and you you must have been in the shipyard. And but also, didn't you have some sort of again the naval training? Because that was leading up to Desert Storm. Yeah, we used to train with the Navy, and they would they would send a team to uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and we had to go down to Cleveland, Ohio, and. Uh, then the Navy uh, personnel would come on and train us in a wartime cruising and different different drills and stuff and stuff. Uh, we never re- didn't really do anything with it, uh, but uh, at least yeah. we had to be ready to do something. I remember that though. I remember leading up to that and you being gone a lot and there just yeah. being a lot more, I guess, tension. Yeah. 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 So the last place. Your last tour of duty was in Kodiak. Yeah, the last tour was in Kodiak on the Coast Guard Cutter Ironwood. Which was that your second tour on the Ironwood? No, no. What but, were you? Oh, you the, were on the Confidence the first time. Yeah, oh. but the thing was, Ironwood was it was a hundred eighty foot buoy tender, and uh, it was the same class of ship and everything of, as the Laurel was the first one I was on. So oh. actually, after twenty six years, I I come on as a fireman apprentice right out of boot camp and uh, when I got out of the Coast Guard I was the engineering officer on the uh, Coast Guard Cutter Ironwood so I'd worked up through to as high as I could go yeah. in, in the uh, engineering field so nice yeah so 
So what was your, what do you think was your favorite tour in the Coast Guard? Do you have a favorite? I think so. I think, you know, I really hated going to the Great Lakes, and I really, really, resisted, I re- really resisted it. But uh, actually, when I got there, uh, it was a fun tour. I had a lot of fun there and stuff. And, uh, and we would cruise around all the lakes and stuff in the summertime. And, oh, we had a barge we'd tow out sometime with us, and we would go around to all the lighthouses, sometime, lighthouses in the Great Lakes. And in the summertime, we would sandblast them and paint them and do different things. So, so it was, it was kind of neat to... Working on the lighthouses and stuff, but being okay. being in fresh water, I think, was what. And that was your only tour in fresh water because yes, we was. went from coast to coast yeah. until we. Yeah. And yeah. you did that just so. I don't know why we ended up in Sault Ste. Marie first, but you stayed there so that I could go to one high school. That was my, that was my big request. Please, yeah. Dad, don't make me go to several high schools. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was my longest tour was on the, on the. Uh, on the Coast Guard Cutter, Katmai Bay, out of Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And you left the day after I graduated high school. Yeah, yeah and went back to Alaska. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. And thank you for your service. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. On this Veterans Day, we would like to honor all the men and women who have taken the time to serve in the U.S. military. Thank you for your service.